You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. I want to talk today about something we've talked a lot about this year, and that is the wide receiver position. I wrote earlier this week for Acme Packing Company about the athletic thresholds that Green Bay likes, and we talked about it on this show. And I said, look, there are going to be these groups of players who Green Bay are just not going to like as much, and it doesn't necessarily rule them out. But, you know, for example, someone like Jalen Rager, who I love, doesn't have the change of direction ability that the Packers like. And it is way outside, way outside the normal range. I mean, he is really, really bad at the three cone and the short shuttle. And you say, well, but why would you why would you waste your time worrying about stuff like that? He's a really good football player. I agree. But the Packers tend to like these kinds of athletic thresholds. It turns out that once you take into account the kinds of players the Packers tend to like. You exclude the outliers and you overlay the various models of athletic testing numbers and profiles that the Packers like. And I know that sounds complicated, but it's really not. If you look at that, you really are only left in an extremely deep receiver class with 12 players. Now, that does not mean that the only 12 players the Packers are likely to draft is this group of 12. It is simply the case that the guys who meet all of their athletic requirements, at least that we have information on, are on this list. We talked about this list earlier in the week. And there are you know, maybe 25 receivers who could go in the top 100. So that means the Packers would prefer, if they could have any of them, fewer than half of that group of 25. So you can say this is an all-time deep group at receiver, and you can say that, oh, they're going to have a lot of chances. They, They can take a linebacker in the first or an offensive tackle in the first and still get a really good player in the second. That's true for a lot of teams. If you're the Packers and you tend to like a specific type of player, it gets much more complicated. So in the first... The players who are likely to go in the first or who could go in the first that fit this bill, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, and I'll throw in Brandon Ayuk because he he has gotten first-round buzz at various points in the, in the pre-draft process. I would take him in the first round. I would be comfortable with him at 30, and I think he is a Packers-type player. Henry Ruggs is gone. Long gone. Daniel Jeremiah tweeted yesterday that Ruggs could be the first receiver taken. Not how I would do it, but 
could be reality. Justin Jefferson looks like a top 25 player. That leaves really Denzel Mims or Brandon Ayuk. Rob Domofsky reported yesterday the Packers are in on Mims. Is that real? Is that a smokescreen? Who knows? At this point, we have entered lying season. We've entered smokescreen season. So always be aware of who benefits from the information being out there. You know, if the Packers are really interested in Denzel Mims, it doesn't make sense for the agent to leak it because he's not creating leverage. Denzel Mims going to 30 is not going to make all the teams 31, 32, 33 suddenly scared that they are not going to get Mims and they have to trade up for him. It just it doesn't make sense. But so that leaves really just those two players as likely potential options. If Justin Jefferson is there, take him. Easy. Run the card in. But in the second round, you're facing a similar dilemma. Michael Pittman in the second, I'm not, I'm not convinced Michael Pittman is going to be there in the 60s. Chase Claypool, Donovan Peoples-Jones. So that is your top 50, top 60 type receiver that fits the Packers' preferred athletic standard. With Pittman in particular, look, if he's the first round pick, I think there are going to be better receivers available, but I think he is a top 35 type player. I don't think it would be a big reach there. Now, Chase Claypool, there was some concern from Packer fans that that Mel Kuyper Jr. had him in a mock draft for them. The Devin Funches selection, I think, eliminates the idea of Chase Claypool if for no other reason than if you're going to take a big receiver, and I know Claypool is a much better athlete than Funches, it, it's a pretty redundant skill set to have the three of them with Alan Lazard. I know that I've I've railed against the the case for redundancy and that I don't care. That would be pretty redundant. So that's that's your that's your group with Donovan Peoples Jones in the top 60. That's only really four likely receivers that the Packers are really going to covet at those spots. If they're gone, what does Green Bay do? And part of the answer to that question is how do they feel about some of these later guys? Gabriel Davis in the third. John Hightower from Boise State in the third. Antonio Gibson, who is uh, a gadget-type player, someone who can play in the slot, who can play running back, who can be a, a, a kick returner. I love his value. Even if you if you take him in the third, he is someone, he's a different kind of player. He's a supercharged Tyler Irvin. But you're already talking about guys who are significantly less likely to make an impact on this team in 2020. So if they are targeting some of these players, if they're in love with one of them, could they trade up? Maybe. Maybe. But this is the reason for me anyway to say go sign Rick Wagner, go sign Christian Kirksey, go sign Devin Funches, try and take care of the holes on your roster so that you don't have to reach because they're going to have limited options in these rounds. They're not going to be sitting there going, oh, well, we like one of these five different receivers. No. Just because it's a deep receiver class doesn't mean they're all appealing prospects. Just because you like K.J. Hamler doesn't mean the Packers are going to. So what they've bought here is flexibility, and, and it's important flexibility because if an offensive tackle falls, if a linebacker falls, they need to be able to have the flexibility to take that player and feel like, okay, there are still guys later in the draft that we can get, even at this compressed list. And I think there are players who can come in and, and be impact players for the Packers in 2020 and beyond, especially at the top. You know, this list, and I've said this a million times on this show, Ruggs, Jefferson, Mims, Ayuk, Pittman, 
that's pretty much the cutoff. If you add LaVisca Chenault, who did not test well enough to really be in the mix for the Packers, maybe they think on tape he looks faster. I'm not as big a LaVisca Chenault fan as, as some are. There's a pretty big drop-off after that to these other guys. And I've said that I think Brian Edwards from South Carolina would be in this mix as well, and he would be. But then the drop-off to Jonathan Peoples-Jones, Chase Claypool, those guys, it's significant. Now, I think Chase Claypool is a tight end, so I'm not even entertaining him at this point. It's really only 11 guys then. And two of them are day three players, Joe Reed and Tyree Cleveland. And so you don't expect them to come in and, and really be contributors for you. Nine guys then. Nine guys that you're choosing from in the top three rounds. You really have to get lucky. So sign your Devin Funches, but also sign your Christian Kirksey's and your Rick Wagner so that in the first, you don't have to take a linebacker. You don't have to take an offensive tackle. This, this was really set up well by Brian Gutekunst because they can sit there in the first round and because they address these other needs, you take the guy you feel like makes you the most improved. And, and in almost any case, it's going to be a receiver for me. I like any of these options at the top. Jefferson Mims, IU Pittman Jr., they all come in and can be your second or third best receiver next year and develop into legitimate, really good players in a Super Bowl caliber offense moving forward as this team tries to contend for a Super Bowl in 2020 and beyond. I want to talk for a second about a team that isn't the Packers. And I know that seems weird, but it is something that has been on the minds of Packer fans, and it's something that I've heard a lot from Packer fans as they are wallowing in self-pity about Brian Gutekinds not making any splash moves. And what I have heard is the Saints are getting better, the 49ers are getting better, and the Packers aren't getting better. Now, first of all, I think the Saints did get better, and you get Emmanuel Sanders, you get Malcolm Jenkins, they got better. Now, does that mean they'll be better? Because this is a team that lost a home playoff game to the Vikings, uh, a team the Packers beat twice last year, and a team the 49ers handled with relative ease in San Francisco. So is it is it something to be nervous about that the Saints got better? Is Drew Brees going to be the same kind of player? Is Alvin Kamara going to stay healthy? What's the situation with Emmanuel Sanders? Can he stay healthy at 33-34 next year to be a reliable player? All right, let's set that aside. I don't want to talk about the Saints. I want to talk about the 49ers because they are the boogeyman for Packers fans right now. And I don't understand the idea that they're better. I don't understand it. Emmanuel Sanders was their second best receiver last year. So you can say, oh yeah, he didn't have a big impact. I've said that. But receiver was a big enough problem for them that they felt like they had to make a trade with a top 100 pick to get Emmanuel Sanders. He was a big part of them going to New Orleans and beating the Saints, a game that turned out to be critical in their search for home field advantage. They also traded DeForest Buckner. Now, yes, they got the 13th overall pick for DeForest Buckner. And what I, I, I keep hearing from people, oh, the, the 49ers have two first-round picks. They didn't get, they're, they're in perfect position. They can add two players and they'll be set. But how many times do we have to talk about the draft as a crapshoot? It's a 50-50 chance 
that they're going to draft a good player at either one of their first-round picks. The Packers had two first-round picks last year, and they got one player who made an impact on their season in 2020. Oh, and by the way, DeForest Buckner is a really good player. DeForest Buckner is either the second or third best player on the 49ers last year. It's, it's George Kittle, DeForest Buckner, and Nick Bosa in some order. And Buckner's ability to run games and twists and eat up blockers to free up D. Ford and free up Nick Bosa and free up Eric Armstead was pivotal in their ability to both stop the run and rush the passer. So you can say, oh, they have more depth because they have three good pass, pass rushers on the outside. But they gave up a really good player to get the 13th pick. So yes, they can use the 13th pick to get a receiver to replace Emmanuel Sanders. And there is a 50-50 chance that that guy is as good as Emmanuel Sanders. And then at 31, they can use that pick on a defensive lineman to replace DeForest Buckner. How do we have any idea if that combined value, if the if the impact of those two players will approximate what DeForest Buckner gave the 49ers last year. And I'm even someone who who thinks the impact of interior defenders is often overrated. But what he did for the 49ers to keep those linebackers clean, to keep blockers off Fred Werner and Quan Alexander and and eat up blockers for Nick Bosa to get one-on-one opportunities, that has huge ripple effects on your defense. And so now you're replacing that with rookies? Now you're replacing the veteran savvy of Emmanuel Sanders with with a rookie, maybe. You know, what if they take Javon Kinlaw at 13? He's not a fraction of the player DeForest Buckner is in year one. And even if he is, then what was then what was the pick for? You're getting 80% of DeForest Buckner and you use the 13th pick to get that guy to get worse? You're worse. The more likely scenario for the 49ers last year is in the swap for the 13th pick and DeForest Buckner, they are worse. Because the guy backing up DeForest Buckner, you know, if Solomon Thomas is going to play more, that guy is not good. And if it's going to be the rookie you get at 13 or 31 or wherever, that guy's not good. And certainly not as good as DeForest Buckner. So I understand the draft holding this allure for fans. It's the shiny new object. It is that new toy. This is why Reggie Bagleton is getting love from fans. A a CFL receiver who's 26, going to be 27 before the year, and all of a sudden you watched one highlight video and you think Reggie Bagleton is the third best receiver on the Packers. That is how psycho we can get in the offseason. That is freaking ridiculous. It's it's unbelievable, but this is this is how we work. We we get so caught up in our analysis of our own team, and it, it becomes paralysis by analysis, and you talk yourself in circles and into knots. It's crazy. The 49ers are worse today than they were in January. Now, the Packers might be too. The Packers might be too, but they didn't trade their second or third best player. The, here's the thing. So if the 49ers got such a great deal with the 13th pick, would you trade David Bakhtiari for the 13th pick? Packers have a good offensive line. Corey Lindsley, Elton Jenkins, Billy Turner, Rick Wagner. That's a solid group. They've got depth there. So, okay, 
Same situation as the 49ers, right? They've got a deep group. That's why they felt like they could they could trade DeForest Buckner. They got a pick. They don't want to pay him. You would trade you would you would trade David Bakhtiari in the midst of a Super Bowl run, trying to protect Aaron Rodgers. No, you wouldn't. Zadarius Smith. You don't want to pay him that contract anymore. Let's say you magically got out of that contract. Packers have Preston Smith. They've got Rashawn Gary. Would you trade Zadarius Smith for the 13th pick in the draft? No, you would not because it makes you worse. So they made a calculation that in the long term, they were better not paying DeForest Buckner $20 million. And, and by the way, I agree. They said, okay, Eric Armstead, defensive end, more value, pay him, and then get this pick. In the long run, this can make sense. But for 2020, they're worse. They're worse than they were last year. And so the Packers might be too, but but marginally so. I think Christian Kirksey could be an upgrade. Devin Funchess is an upgrade. And though Rick Wagner is not, the draft could help them buoy their roster, just like the 49ers. They have one extra pick, and they're down a blue-chip, supreme talent from their team. That is not a trade-off that I would have been willing to make. And if the Packers said, oh, we're going to trade David Bakhtiari for the 13th pick, I would be on this radio show going, that is stupid. It's not what I would do. Because you're trading the player for a pick for a 50, even if it's a 60% chance, and it's not. But for, let's say, for sake of argument, a 60% chance that that player is 75% as good as the player you're giving up. That's just a no. It's just a no for me, dog. I do want to bring something up before we finish up here that the Green Bay Packers have started a COVID-19 relief fund. They have put their money where their mouth is, a million and a half dollars. And then on top of that, a gift from Mark Murphy. They are taking the lead in this response, and it's good to see. When, when so many franchises around sports are bungling this and handling it to the point where the, the Sixers are saying, oh, well, the staff needs to take cuts, and Joel Embiid says, I'll front the money, and the PR hit is so bad that the Sixers have to walk it back. When you've got billionaire owners saying, you guys need to take a pay cut, not I'll cover it, that PR is bad. And I understand you want to make an argument about economics, whatever. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about teams doing the right thing by their employees. And that's what I like to see. The Packers are trying to help the community. They're not owned by a billionaire. They're not owned by Jerry Jones or Jeffrey Lurie. They don't have someone who has billions of dollars and can just write a check. They're a publicly owned team that has had in the past cash flow problems. That's part of the reason you have the Titletown district and you know you bring the Hall of Fame in and, and you have an atrium that, that can theoretically create revenue for you. If there are no games, if the Packers have to push back the season, that's a major problem for them. They can't front the cost. They can't eat it the same way that, that other teams can because their owners are billionaires. Packers don't have those deep pockets. Now, the league would never let that become a problem for myriad reasons, but it's just something that I think is worth pointing out that the Packers have done this thing. They have taken the precautions that you would hope they would have taken, but more than that, they're trying to help in the local communities, making sure people have food, et cetera. So I just wanted to shout that out, and I, and I hope that we see 
you know, the, the players have stepped up. We've seen athletes around sports put together programs. Ryan Braun in California is doing it for the Brewers, Christian Yelich, to try and feed people because this is a, this is a difficult time. And we're all dealing with the uncertainty of it and the fear of it and the anxiety of it. And I, I hope that for the 20, 25 minutes that, that you listen to Locked on Packers, you have a little bit of a respite from it, that it's a little bit of an escape with the understanding that this is small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. The NFL is not that big a deal when you're talking about people in hospital beds. So I don't, I don't want to end the show on a, on a low note. In fact, I want to do the opposite, and I want to remind everyone, this is why I brought up the Packers thing, that we can help. So let's do our parts. Let's all do our parts. The Packers are doing their parts. Please do your part and help in whatever way that you can to make sure that the people around you are safe, healthy, and happy. This is, this is a situation that can be isolating for a lot of people. It can be anxiety-inducing for a lot of people. We are a family as Cheesehead Nation, as Locked On Packers Nation. So support one another, and let's make it through this together. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers. Locked on Packers.